Well, praise God, it's good to have church together. Can I pray before we hear the word of God? Lord, thank you that your word is alive today as much as it has been through the years. And Lord, we thank you that your word wants to speak to us today. And as we continue to meditate and think about the generations that you are raising up, Lord, the the church that you are building, Lord, we pray our hearts reopen to catch a vision, Lord, for all you have in store for your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you remember when you used to take exams? Some of you uh, are taking exams at the moment and know this very well. I'm thinking about the sorts of exams where they would say, show your working. Just giving the answer wasn't enough. You had to show how you got to the answer that you got to. It demonstrated that you understood the, uh, the subject matter, that you understood how you got there. You had to show how you got the answer. Well, I want to give you a moment now to think, maybe if you're in a room with others, to talk amongst yourselves. Um, I'm going to give you one minute, literally one minute, for you to talk and try to answer a question that I want to give to you. And I don't, only don't want you just to just give the answer. I want you to show you're working. So just think about what's my answer to this question and why do I have the answer that I do? And especially if you're with others, just take the one minute you're going to have, like you were in church talking to the person next to you, take one minute to talk about your answer to this question and show you're working how you got the answer. So here's the question. As we think about the next generation, and as we think about maybe who comes after me, there will come a day when I'm no longer the pastor of the church. When we think about that, could the next pastor of the Oak Community Church be a woman? You got one minute. Go answer the question. Show you're working. That's it. Your one minute's up. And some of you don't understand. What, why did you even give us one minute to discuss that? You had an answer straight away. It wasn't strange or anything. It's obvious. The answer to your question of could the next pastor of the Oak Community Church be a woman? It's an obvious answer. Of course they can. Or, or maybe it was an obvious answer. Of course they can't. Or maybe some of you had to think. Maybe you had a bit of a discussion there. Maybe the answer was obvious either way. Slam dunk or no, yes they could, no they can't. Or, well, maybe you had to have a discussion about it. 
Why am I even bother asking this question? Is it controversial? Is it simple? The series we are in is thinking all about the next generation. The next generation, those who are coming after us, the Oak Community Church of the future. And there's a reason why we're preaching this series. I've seen the hunger and a passion for you in our church, that you have a hunger and a passion to nurture the next generation. In January, in the first Sunday of January, I preached a sermon about new wine in new wineskins. And I talked about how we're not the church we were 20 years ago. It was 2020, well, we are in 2020, but it was the the first Sunday of 2020. And I spoke about what we were like in 2000, what changes have taken place in 20 years and what changes might come in the next 20 years. In 20 years time, I will be 67, nearly 68. I probably won't be pastoring. I should have passed this on to the next generation. And we're thinking generationally. And then what really struck me was, um, it was a few weeks after that, we had a visiting preacher, a guy called Phil Stokes. And Phil come and preached. And if you were there, you'll remember, he spoke about a number of different times in the Bible uh, that a phrase occurred. And when this phrase occurred, uh, different things were going on. And one of them was thinking about the next generation. And when, when Phil preached this, he then kind of preached the message twice. He went through them all over again and said, is there anyone who feels this way? Would you stand up? And when we got to the bit that said, do you feel like you have a passion to nurture the next generation? Many people in our church stood up. And it was at that point I realised, wow, it's not only me who has a hunger for this. We have a church that wants to think generationally. Robin spoke at the beginning of this series a number of weeks ago now about the importance of the older generation nurturing the next generation, passing the baton on. Last week, I spoke about the potential hidden within our, even our younger ones, our infants, those in their, in their first 10 years of their life, the potential hidden there. Next week, Annie's going to be preaching to you. She's going to talk about the passion of the youth and all the energy and the zeal that's contained within them. But this week, I'm preaching about the women of the future. And I don't know if you know this, but this is one of a few topics. There are a few of them, but this is one of the topics that I labour over. It's a topic that I, I, I regularly come back to reading the Bible, looking at theology, studying, because I really believe this subject matters. There's a lot at stake if we get this right or wrong. And I suppose it doesn't, um, it, I shouldn't ignore the fact that it's a very personal matter to me. I have two daughters. And so I care for the future for my daughters. The son that I have is an active feminist fighting for women's rights. It's a hot topic for him. And so it's no wonder really that this is a subject that's close to my heart. But it's also a subject when you look across the church right now and across the generations of churches, many have studied on this matter and come to different conclusions. And many have even fallen out. Because although the question that I asked may seem an obvious one to you, throughout churches in our land and around our world, there are strong arguments either way. Of course, the next pastor could, maybe even should be a woman. And in some circles of the church will be, no, that, that's not up for grabs. That's not biblical. And in case you've never really come across this, let me tell you, it's not just the kind of the, the churches that are kind of stuck in the past, if I might say that, have, have a particular style or, uh, or, or heritage that seems quite traditional. 
This is across our church. There are churches that have very clear distinctives on saying we are wanting to raise women. And we have some churches that go, their women can work in a church, but only at a certain level. If you don't realise that, ask any church you go to. Ask them, say, what's your view on women? Can they be pastors of the church? But the reason why I labour over this is not just because it has some element of personal connection to me, is because I feel this mantle upon my shoulders that says, you've got to get it right. If I get, if I get the Bible wrong on this matter, I'm going to answer to God. God's going to look at me and say, why did you get it wrong? Either way. And just think about it this way. If I interpret the Bible that says women cannot operate in that level in the church and I'm holding people back in a way that God does not want, I'm not only going to be answerable to God, but what opportunities will have been missed and what hurt will have been caused to the women in our church to know that, sorry, there's only a certain amount of roles in the church you can perform if, if that's wrong. But equally, if I get it wrong the other way, if I push people into roles that in actual fact the Bible says they're not biblically allowed to do or made to do or created for, then I'm going to push people into a place where they're not meant to be. And so maybe that's why you'll understand this is a subject that's close to my heart and also weighs heavy on me. Well, I want to anchor us in Scripture, and we're going to go to a, a number of places in Scripture today. Um, but I want to start us in a scripture that you might find surprising when I'm talking about women and the women of the future. The text I want to read from today is out of the book of 1 Peter. And the letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. And this is what Peter says in his first letter, chapter 4, 10 to 11. He says this, he says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping out? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So this passage talks about, have you been gifted? He doesn't talk about men or women. He says, have you been gifted? And if you have, use it. And it begs the question, if God gives gifts to his children, does God give different gifts to men and different gifts to women? I mean, clearly, we all have different giftings. We all operate in different way. I have strengths and weaknesses. You have strengths and weaknesses. We're all gifted differently. But the question is, does he specifically gift the genders in a different way? Well, let me tell you my answer to the question that I posed to you. Could the next woman, uh, could the next pastor of the Oak Community Church be a woman? Well, let me tell you my answer. There is no role in the church that is off limits for a woman I think <laughs> you might you might not like the I think that I've added at the end there because there's a slight hesitation within me because the church has been so divided over the years and and whilst I've come to a personal conclusion that says there is not a role in the church that's off limits for a woman I'm also humble enough to go well what if I'm 
What if, I've hum- what if I've interpreted that wrong? So rather than just tell you the answer, I want to show you my working. I don't want to just say what sounds right. And so understand, culturally, culturally is completely off, off limits to stand and say, there are roles within the church that women cannot perform. Tell me, let me tell you now, when churches make that statement, they are flying against culture. And so the easiest thing in the world is to say what I just said. There is not a single role in the church that's off limits for a woman. But I don't want to just say that because it fits with our culture. I don't want to say it because it sounds right. I don't even want to say it because it feels right. I want to say it because it's biblical. And in reality, there are strong arguments on both sides. But as I listen to those arguments, as I read scripture, as I read theology, as I listen to different schools of thought, I'm personally more persuaded to believe that women are not limited at all in their function in the church. And so in this message, I want to give a, just a small view of my thinking before I talk about how we apply that. Now, now, if you are one of those people who answered that question earlier, you go, no, it's not biblical at all. Probably I'm not going to do enough to convince you. There's not enough time. And I'm not an expert in this stuff as well. But I want to give you enough to let you in on my thinking. And if you want to study this stuff, if you want to debate it, if you want to go, there's a lot of places you can go that are deep in this. But where I want to go is I want to just step into the Bible and I want to look at what happened at the very beginning of the story in the Bible, the beginning of creation. I want us to just look through a few things in Genesis right at the very beginning. And I want to give you a foundation for why I say our women have every opportunity in the church to serve and use all the giftings that God's given them. So I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bible with you, this is going to be a lot easier. Grab your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, actually, sorry, Genesis chapter 1. We'll get to 3 in a minute. And I'm going to just move you through some verses in Genesis and just see how creation unfolded. So let me just, uh, I am picking through verses. We're not going to do a big long study because I want to get to applying this of what this means for our church and our women of the future. But I want to give you a biblical basis for this. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and just look over, look at verse 27. At verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this, this is a great passage because it tells us that God created man. We often talk about man as in mankind, as in human beings. But God also speaks distinctly and says he created male and female. Two different types of people, but both created in God's own image. Both of us image bearers, men and women, ordained with the image of God, imprinted with his very nature in us, both men and women. And verse, uh, let's look uh, forward to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 18. It starts to unpack the actual creation process for men and women. And in chapter 2, verses 18, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This is this moment where in all of creation, God looked at everything he'd done. But when he looked at man by himself, he said, This is not good. It's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper. Now that word helper maybe has a certain connotation for us. We think of sometimes a helper like there's the skivvy, there's the servant, there's the person to do stuff for me. That is not the context that's meant here. And we know that because that word helper 
That word helper is a certain Hebrew word that where we read it elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's used over and over again to talk about God. God is our helper. God is our helper, our very help in times of need. When the psalmist said, I look to the hills, uh, I cast my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He's using exactly the same word. And we don't think of God as our skivvy, as our second class. God is the essential part of who we are. We're incomplete without God in our life. And so when he talks about, man, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a helper. He's not talking about a servant. He's talking about someone who makes a massive impact on your life. In just a few verses later, in uh, verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up, it closed up its place with the flesh. And the, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. It's great that God used a rib. He didn't use a foot. He didn't use a head, he used a rib out of the side that men and women would stand side by side. This is the creation story. And it goes on to say in verse 20, um, in verse 23, it says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. She has a different name. He doesn't name her man, he names her Woman, she is different. There are differences between us. We know there are differences. But I want to tell you, it's biblical, not just that we see physical differences, but men and women are different. That's the biblical truth. We're different. Chapter 2, verse 25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The beginning story of creation before sin entered the world was that where men and women were together, there was no shame. There was no tension. There was no one-upmanship. There was no battle of the sexes. There was equality. There was complete abandonment with each other without the worry that one was going to have one over on the other. This is the story of creation before sin entered. And then sin entered. Chapter 3. Verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be decided to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. She took of the fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband and he ate it. They both sinned. It's a great um, reality that not only were men and women created different but equal, they both fell. They both sinned. And, and what it did was it changed the basis of this relationship forever. Verse 7 says, Then their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. They've gone from being oblivious to the fact that we're naked together and there's nothing to be ashamed about to their very relationship being seared in between them. The basis of their relationship changed forever. You know the story. God comes in the garden and calls out for them. When he sees them, he says, why did you eat the fruit? And then when God starts talking about the impact of this sin that will make on their lives. In chapter 3, verse 16, he says, To the woman, God said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. 
Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. This basis of their relationship and now because of sin has changed forever. There's this tension now that's entered into man and women caused by sin. A battle for dominance. You shall desire to dominate your husband. He shall rule over you. There shall be this battle going on. And for men... God said to him in verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return by the sweat of your face. He says, you know what? This work stuff, it's going to be hard. Man, you're going to find work a challenge. You're going to be challenged by, is my work good enough? Is my job big enough? Do I look good enough? And everything changed in this story. Everything changed. Sin came in and changed the dynamics between men and women. And we are still living with it now. We're still living with this impact of men and women who used to once walk in the garden side by side, naked, unashamed, without tension, without a striving between them. And sin came in and drove a wedge between them. Now, the great story is we don't live just in the reality of Genesis chapter 3. Jesus came and made all things new. You spring forward all the way through the story of the Bible. Jesus arrives, and I'm going to talk a bit more about Jesus later, about the way that Jesus worked with women. But I want you to read something that Paul said in the book of Galatians. Through the work that Jesus has done in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 29, he says, For you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. We know that. When we get saved, we get baptised into Christ. It's like starting a new life. And everything changes. The curse of sin is broken. And he says there's now no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You're his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Now, I've said this is a deep subject, and I'm not an expert, but I do listen to experts. And I thought, rather than me spend ages in this sermon doing a Bible study, because I want to get to what this means for us as as a church, I might rely on some experts. So I want to show you this video clip from a wonderful uh, seminary, a a, a place where people learn theological studies, and I think they explain it really well. Have a look at this video. When God creates humanity, God creates humanity male and female. And together, male and female, they share in God's image. And there's no distinction between them in terms of status or level, one higher or lower than the other. They're simply partners in in sharing God's image or reflecting God's image to creation. When Paul lays out the idea that in Christ, that is to say in the new creation, the things that separate people in the real world don't separate people any longer, neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. In the new creation, we we have God bringing back together the intention all along that we found in Genesis chapter 1, one humanity, male and female, in the divine image. When you take the whole picture and look at how 
men and women together are created in the image of God and how men and women together are given stewardship over God's good earth and how an ark begins there in Genesis that is carried through to Galatians 3.28 with the unity of men and women in Christ. Within that larger arc, that larger trajectory, we fit our understanding of the role of women. So it's not just about women, but about men and women together in God's people and in the Church of Christ. And within that larger arc, within that larger biblical understanding, we do see women active in various positions of leadership, given gifts for ministry, called to service. And so uh, many of us feel compelled to lead with that sort of understanding of scripture and its witness to the role of women and let that be our guiding light for understanding the ministry of women in the 21st century in the church. Now there are far more Bible texts that speak to the subject but let me use some as I go along. If it's true that Jesus has made the same opportunities of both for both male and female but but sinful corruption is in our world and, and that impacts us, then, then we've seen throughout our world that that sinful corruption has meant that women have missed out on so many opportunities, not only in the world around us, but in the church that we inhabit. And so we have to work harder to address that, to get things into the balance that God intended and that Jesus set us free for. We have to reverse some of the church assumptions and habits and some of the culture that we've grown up with. You know, I heard a great phrase recently, uh, and someone said this, gender equality only happens when you start doing something. It doesn't happen just when you talk about it. And we, we have a legacy to build. And, but we also get the legacy that's been built for us. We have inherited what the previous generation have given us. And the previous generation have given us a great inheritance, but it's not perfect. And so we've grown up in a, in a church culture around us that, especially in the last 30 years maybe, has been trying to address that balance and there's more room to go. And so my approach to this is I want to inspire our women with a big vision for what God has in store. I said to you earlier that I believe there is not a single role in the church that is forbidden or prohibited or prevented from any woman moving into. And then I said, I think. Because there's plenty of other people with brains bigger than me who study this who go, Trevor, you're wrong. And there's plenty who agree with me. And so I've adopted a position that says, you know what? I'm more persuaded that there's every opportunity open for women. So I want to inspire women with a big vision. And then I want to let God's calling and anointing rest upon them. And then we'll respond. So, so what that means is when, when we read earlier in 1 Peter... That he said, use the giftings that God's given you. Oh, we want to be inspiring our women, our young women, our older women. There's nothing you can't do. Move into the gifting that God has given you. And then let's see the gifting rise and appoint people into roles as they are able to. Now, I'm hoping that I'm speaking to everyone who thinks, Trevor, you're really labouring this. I'm sold on this. I've never been in doubt. But maybe there are some who go, well, I've read some pretty strong scriptures about what women shouldn't do. And we're not going to be able to get into all of those. I told you, if you want to study it, there's some great stuff out there. I'll point you to it. But I want to convince you of my, my posture on this, which is let God raise people up. Let us encourage them. 
men and women. And as we see giftings arise, it becomes obvious people are gifted. And, and Peter said, if you're gifted, then let it flourish. I'll tell you a story about something that saddened me greatly. It's actually about a guy, um, but the principle applies. I used to have fellowship with a guy, and um, he's moved away now. Um, and he had a limited function role in a church. They used him, he had great talents, but what he was able to do in the church was limited. And it was limited because the church had a particular theological interpretation that said, you have once been divorced, and therefore you're disqualified. You're disqualified from being an elder in the church, ever being the pastor, because you've had more than one wife. And they interpreted that scripture in that way. And as I met with this guy and chatted to him, I could see the sorrow within him. The frustration, which was, I feel like God's given me giftings, but I'm never going to be able to make that. And we had coffee and I spoke to him and a number of other people did who said, I don't think that's right. I don't think that interpretation's right. God has gifted you. There's more to come out of you. Don't see a ceiling above you because of something that took place in your past. Jesus has put everything right. He's covered every sin. He's covered it with the blood of Jesus. Everything's open to you. And as he stepped into that, as he stepped into that reality, he started to flourish. And in the end, he went on to become a pastor of a church. (laughs) The very church where he was that said, no, no, there's a glass ceiling, missed out on every bit of gifting that had been placed within him, and another church received the blessing of that gifting and allowed it to flourish. And that can happen for men, like I just described in that story. It can happen for women when people go, that's all you could ever be. The future that we want to build is one where women can fulfill every single role in the church. My successor could be a woman. Why not? God has ordained women with giftings, and we want them to flourish. And so I said, I don't want to spend too much time Bible study and I want to apply it. And so I just want to show you three ways that Jesus worked with women and what that means for us in the church. And the first is that, w- that women were disciples of Jesus. Women were disciples of Jesus. The followers and disciples of Jesus included women. Let me read to you Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 3. So soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So we read in this passage, Jesus got his disciples, which included Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, many others. But let's be real, how often do we mention their names in church? How often do we talk about the women that Jesus had as his disciples? Because we want to raise a generation of women who are Jesus' disciples. And just think about how we, how we undermine this. We're not only, and I'm guilty of this as well, I'm trying to learn better. You know, we preach a lot and speak a lot and, and exemplify and raise up the men in the Bible and neglect to mention the great women in the Bible. But also just think practically, if you've, if you've raised a family or maybe you have children right now or you're young, when there's an evening meeting, a Sunday evening meeting, a Saturday evening celebration, a Bible study on a Tuesday evening, and there are a man and a woman and some children. What have we seen historically? Who gets to go and who gets to stay at home? We give opportunities in the church for discipleship. 
We want to sow into you. We want to study the Bible. And then we reinforce the fact that men are disciples of Jesus while the women stay at home. Think about our junior church. When the junior church is primarily resourced from women who sow into the lives of the children, who misses out on the Sunday sermon? The women do. And so do you see, Jesus brings to himself disciples who are men and women, and we raise the men up and we kind of forget the women. And then in our church practice, we create opportunities to be disciples of Jesus for the men, and the women get the short stick. You know, the church has been great at gathering women. Look around most churches. There are a lot of women in their churches. And the church has been great at serving women. Uh, sorry, at letting them serve. But the church has been poor at serving the women. Poor at discipling. We, we, we've said to our women, follow these great people. But we've rarely said, get people to follow you. And so as Jesus had disciples who are men and women all around him, we want to see men and women raise the disciples. And like I said earlier, we've lived in a culture that has an imbalance. So we might have to work harder to create opportunities, to create systems and, and, and to redress that balance. Even right now in our church, when we're back together, you look at who goes back in the back room. It's mostly the women. And they're the ones who miss out on the discipling of Jesus. They miss out on the sermons. And so men, step up. How can we play our part? How can we create opportunities to release our women so they can grow in Christ as well? Second thing I want to say is women were included with Jesus without disqualification. Women were included with Jesus without disqualification. Jesus accepts a woman who is immoral as a worshipper. In Luke chapter 7, Verses 7 to 38, it said, When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she heard Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt before him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This was an immoral woman. Everyone in the town knew she was an immoral woman. And she worships at Jesus' feet. And the religious leaders want to reject her, want to push her out, don't think she should be there. But Jesus says, this is a worshipper. He says, no sin is too great to disqualify you. Jesus not only accepts all people, and, and this, this story is true for all of us, but I want to say it for women because I think historically we've shamed women with sin that men have got away with. And we've made women feel like you're disqualified. And Jesus accepts this immoral woman. I don't know what she did, but she lived an immoral life and she comes and worships at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, you can worship at my feet. You can bring your heart and your soul in worship. You are not disqualified. There is no sin too great. He also makes an unclean woman clean. In Luke chapter 8, just one chapter later in verse 43, it says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure comes up behind Jesus, she touches the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. And I think this is particularly poignant for women because this woman was constantly bleeding. The assumption is it's some form of menstrual problem. And society would shun her for that. She is unclean. But Jesus, the clean one, is touched by the unclean one. 
And it doesn't make him unclean. He makes her clean. Most people expected in the Old Testament, things that were contaminated became then unclean. But Jesus comes and says, I make the unclean clean. And I think there's all manner of hang-ups that society has put on women that says you're disqualified. And if you are a woman listening to this and you have that feeling that says, it couldn't be me, I couldn't do this because, and there's something ringing in your ears, I've got this issue, I've got this problem, I've got this thing in my past, I've got this flaw, whatever that thing is, and you go, I'm disqualified therefore, God couldn't use me in this way, let me tell you the good news, Jesus paid the price, you are a new creation, he has gifted you, he has a plan for your life. And you are the head and not the tail. He's got great plans for you. Jesus took those, the religious people, the men, the religious men, took as disqualified and he embraced them, he accepted them. And the third point I want to bring out today is that he sends women on a mission. Women sent on a mission by Jesus, entrusted with the gospel. You know, the most important mission that Jesus has for any of us is telling the world around him about Jesus. And he constantly gave this mission to men and to women. We just only talk about the men. We raise up the profile of the men that Jesus spoke to, but Jesus gave this mission of the gospel to men and to women. I want to highlight two particular events where this happens. The Samaritan woman at the well. In, in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. It's often preached about. And when this passage is preached about, if you know this story well, you'll kind of know some of the story. And so what do we preach about? We preach about the fact that she was a Samaritan. There was a Samaritan woman. She was, um, you know, of the, the people that the Jews didn't like. So we speak about the Samaritan. We speak about the fact that she was a woman and Jesus shouldn't have been with a woman. Maybe we speak about worship. It's the passage where Jesus talks about worship and worship in spirit and in truth. Maybe we speak about the fact that she had five husbands. And uh, people will look and go, isn't she a dreadful woman who has five husbands? But as I've said before, the culture was the men had all the power. If you had five husbands, that means five men have passed you around and given you no value. These are the bits that always get focused on. Rarely do you hear the fact that this woman was a great evangelist. Jesus used this woman to save many. How many sermons have you heard about that? In in that same chapter of John chapter 4, a few verses later, the bit that doesn't get focused on, in verse 39 it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said he told me everything I ever did because of her testimony many believed and when they came out to see him they begged him to stay in their village because she said that so he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear this revival breaks out because this woman speaks and then when they hear Jesus they say to the woman now we believe Not just because you told us, but because we've heard it for ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the son of God. Jesus uses this woman. She's a great evangelist. Jesus uses this woman as a great evangelist. Puts her on mission. Sends her back to the village. And many come and come to know Jesus. It's not the only occasion. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four Gospels, when Jesus is raised from the dead, it's the women who see him first. 
The women in all four Gospels. I love the way Luke puts it. Luke tells it in chapter 24 and verse 10 he says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded a lot of nonsense to the men so they didn't believe it. I love it. They're the first to see it. They get the revelation. They go to tell the men and the men go, that's way too outlandish. Sounds like nonsense. And I found this so often in my life. Jesus reveals things first to the women before the men. And the men don't listen. <laughs> we don't listen. We think, oh, this is idle tales, imagination, grand visions. And we get all this grounded bit that goes, oh, let's get real. But, but the women catch the vision so often. They're the ones Jesus sent to declare that he is alive. And so women, I want to tell you, God has a mission for you. And it's not a small part. It's not a minor part. It's a major role. And us guys, we're slow on the uptake. We're not always good at encouraging. That's the story we read here. The women come back all excited and the men, they dampen it all down. This is nonsense. They try to squash the story. They don't believe it. And tragically, this is the, the story of history that plays out. As a guy, as a man, I want to say, women, I'm sorry. If we've held you back, if we've not listened, if we try to squash the gifting within you, we're not always encouraging. Sometimes we're discouraging and we need to get better at that. I want to tell you, Jesus wants women to go ahead of the men so often. That's what we read in the, in the story of the resurrection. Jesus sends the women first. And us men, we fight for the spotlight. But women, I want to tell you, Jesus has a mission for you. You know, there are no barriers. That's what I said at the beginning. There are no barriers, but there are differences. We read earlier in Galatians chapter 3, 28, that there are, there are no differences. That As in, like, you know, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. So there's no barriers that says, oh, you know, this is just for men and this is just for women. But we are different. I also read to you in 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So we're different. But we're not different locked into our genders. We're different because we're different. And so you get to be you. You don't have to be someone else. You don't have to be like a bloke. You don't even have to be like another woman. You get to be you. You're uniquely gifted. And the word of God says, let that gifting come through. We want to encourage and nurture you. We want to nurture everyone. We want to say God has placed hidden potential. Isn't that what we were talking last week? In you, let it shine. Well, I, before I wrap things up, I want to just let these experts speak one second time. Because um, then they bring this to life. And also they, they set, set women on a mission. Just have a listen to this second video I want to show you. What I think Jesus insists upon and that Paul puts so beautifully in Corinthians when he says, we come together, we are one but many. We have our particular gifts. And to leave those gifts at the door is actually a disservice to the church. To leave who we are as our ethnos, our gender, and indeed even our class, to pretend those things aren't there, does no service to the church and does no service to our witness to the world that doesn't know what to do with these kinds of differences that uses those differences to exclude, that uses those differences to bash each other, that uses those differences as excuses for oppression or violence. 
Not so within the church. We see those as gifts. We see those as ways of sharpening one another for our fidelity to Christ and our mission in the world. You know, these are, these are complex issues when you talk about uh, the interpretation and the appropriation of these biblical texts. And it's easy to see why there's ongoing conversation and will be ongoing conversation about a lot of these texts. Let me tell you, though, that uh, texts like Luke 8, 1 to 3 come to mind where it's clear that Jesus has not only the 12 disciples whose names we know, but he also has a cadre of women disciples who are following him as well. And in fact, are supporting the other disciples out of their own pockets, so to speak. So they're, they're both disciples, but they're also benefactors of the uh, Jesus movement that Luke describes in Luke chapter 8. I think that's a pretty important text, uh, not least given uh, how male-oriented Jesus' world would have been. If you're a woman who feels you have been called to service in the church, but you find others reading scripture differently and telling you on the basis of scripture that this can't possibly be your call, I would encourage you to read two things. One, read the Gospels and look for the way in which Jesus calls women to discipleship and the way they learn from him and follow him and become the first witnesses to his resurrection. And then read uh, the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and look for the ways in which he speaks of and uh, talks about and uses women as co-workers in the gospel in the church and in his ministry. Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and others who are laboring side by side with Paul uh, in the book of Philippians, Euodia and Syntyche. And let those witnesses uh, speak to you about your call and see then if God isn't calling you to stand alongside Mary and Phoebe and others and serve in Christ's church. You know, we live under a new covenant. The effect of sin that we read about earlier in Genesis has permeated our world. But you and I as believers, we get to live as new creations. We get to live counter to the culture that's fighting between men and women. And we get to live with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And when that pouring out of the Holy Spirit hit our globe, came and landed on that day in the upper room and then went out from there, everything changed. And, and Peter, when he gives his great uh, sermon, he talks about the prophet Joel. He says in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, Now, now what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He said this, In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Prophesy. You know what prophecy is? It's the declaration of God's word. It's speaking on God's behalf. And Joel said, and Peter told us it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost that the day has come, these last days, when his spirit has been poured out on men and on women, on sons and on daughters. There is a gift of the prophetic word upon every person in Christ. Men and women. Women, God has given you the word of God to declare. 
We're going to wrap up this morning by watching what I think is a wonderful example of women in our church declaring God's word over us, speaking the prophetic word of God. You be blessed when you watch this.